16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody, welcome back to not only a new episode of Her with Amina Brown, but this is the last episode of our Road Story series. And now we've come <laughs> to the end well, of the Road Story. As y'all can see, Matt is here in the living room with us. Welcome. Thank you for being here. I mean, he's normally here because that's yeah. how the podcast. Y'all just didn't know I could sing like that, though. Boy, boy. <laughs> Might have a restaurant one nope. day. Never okay. know. Okay. Might have your singing career, child. We're, so we're never laughing. Never know what happen. We're laughing because that's a thing that my grandma does. It's like any any shred of talent that she sees in you, which which on one level is a beautiful thing and also is very hilarious. It's like any little shred of talent. Like you sing a little song. My grandma's like, oh, you might become a singer one day. Oh, you got a beautiful voice. And you'll be like, I can't sing like that, grandma. I'm not mm-hmm. Whitney Houston, child. Mm-hmm. But shout out to having grandmas who believe in you, okay? And That's speaking right. of good energy, we're closing out our road stories because, because to be fair, you know, the road can be a harrowing experience and was for us in certain regards mm-hmm. and in other regards was really wonderful. And I thought it would be so great to end with our favorite gigs, our best gigs ever in mm-hmm. our time being on the road. And Matt and I have both talked about this now our careers are in a little bit of like a different place. We're not as much people who are on the road all the time like we used to be. Although, to be fair, we are both still stage people. Mm-hmm. Matt does a lot of performing that is here in Atlanta area. And I am hoping to get back to doing some stage work on the road. I think we both hope to get back on the road at some I point. I do miss the road a bit. Like, yeah. Like when the whole world shut down. It was nice to have some like gigs in, in in your hometown, and I will say I do enjoy sleeping in my own bed. Yeah. I enjoy eating food out of my own fridge. I enjoy like the things of your life that you have more control over because you're not on a plane, train, or automobile. Mm-hmm. But there are just some beautiful things about being on the road, experiencing some different parts of the country. Uh, different restaurants. You're trying this thing out in this city. Well, what works in this city? And then, you know, ATL has some specific things about it. You know what I mean? So always performing ATL. I see some stuff be like, man, I sure would like to DJ in that town. Oh man, that looks cool. I'm, I... And so there's some of that stuff that, you know, I, I'm sure we'll get back to. And I sure hope so. So if you're listening. <laughs> if you're listening and you got some road gigs, you know, holla at a player and book holla the hotels. At right a player. And book the hotels right <laughs> anyways <clears throat> anyhow no no pressure after listening to yeah this no pressure at all but please book the but hotels our next podcast well. might be about you thank you <laughs> so very much yes i think there is also a rush to being on the road especially which is this is going to lead into what is going to be one of my votes for what had been what has been one of my favorite gigs or favorite type of gig that we did but i think there's something to when you're on the road and we, I, I got a chance to be tour. I got a chance to tour with other artists. Matt and I never got a chance to do the type of tour where, you know, like how you would see, like, like right now, Beyonce is doing the Renaissance tour, and then she books this tour and it goes into all these different cities. You know, kind of doing a similar 
set of, you know, performance or whatnot. Matt and I traditionally did not have a lot of that together mm-hmm. when we were on the road, but we did have the experience of sort of having a show that we developed mm-hmm. and taking it to all these different cities and seeing like, how did it feel in Dallas? Mm-hmm. But how did it feel in this small town in South Carolina? But yeah. how did it feel in California? You know, um, all of those things and like all the fun stuff you get to discover about it. So my first vote for best gig ever was us performing together. We had two shows that we did together. Our first show together was called God Rhyme Reason, which honestly morphed into the second version, which was Breaking Old Rhythms, which is pretty much based on my first book. And that still, um, even though I think where we both are as far as how we like to practice our faith now, how we like to express our faith um, there's a lot about what we were doing message-wise that we would do really differently um, if we were doing that today. But right. just the opportunity that we had to really give a generation of kids like hip-hop history. Yeah, that was my favorite part. <laughs> that was really cool to get to do. Um that we built a show that you could do in front of a hundred people, yeah. but that you could do in front of like 18,000 people. Yeah. That was really cool Um, that you got a chance to show students like turntablism. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, this is an era now we were probably doing that for what would be considered like probably younger or or mid millennial Mm -hmm. age. Yeah. And towards the tail end, maybe we were getting a little bit of early Gen Z, a little bit maybe. Um, But the fact that you got to showcase turntablism i really enjoyed that part of it like we would be out there i I remember when you first came to me with the idea we were just friends it just sounded interesting to begin with and it was a puzzle to put together just because how do you dj behind a poet i know a dj behind a rapper you know i know how to work with a singer people working you know what would be your more standard like song format but free verse poetry but then also that's going to be coming in and out of these stories and these monologues and you doing what would be like a mini Ted talk, traditional talk, but like chopped up in between all these different elements. But the ingredients sounded cool and your love for hip hop culture, my love for hip hop culture and the idea of it being a DJ and somebody on the mic. I was like, Ooh, that's cool. So there would be times that like, you know, there was a part where I would be, Going juggling between the two turntables, you know, uh, cool like that. And on the other hand, okay, she's still going in this story. I, I think I know where she's headed to, but I need to give it some variation. Let me bring the horns in. Yeah, yeah. Back, back. Okay, we need to bring it back down because she's talking some more. Bring in that part with the snaps. And, and so, like even from the idea of like a beat maker but it's like i was sampling these hip-hop songs to go under your talk and then for people to be like who was that song with the horns oh you oh and then this album oh my gosh you get or you know um when we would get to uh there would always be a segment of the show where uh you you would be like you would talk about the dj and i by this point usually i'm building up i'm i'm juggling in um the front part of rapper's delight or something you know what i mean it's and it's building up the energy you know don't 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 and then you would step back and give me a chance to just do um, a DJ juggle routine. And then also for me learning how to build a juggle routine uh, for people that might not automatically just be in on what you're doing. It's one thing when you're working for a crowd that's like, they're immediately going to get it. They're already into it. They love it. Yes. But then you're in there like, wait, what is this? What is this music? Mm-hmm. I don't know this music. Mm-hmm. I also find something that's safe and digestible. And it was such a great time building that with you that I was like, wow, what a cool friend. <laughs> and then come to find out everybody was right. You got a shot, bro. Get married. And now we on the road. Yo. In all these cities and be like, you really like we were really in this town. 
juggling rapper's delight and talking about b boys and b girls and yeah, that was a time, man. Yeah, uh, I mean, I will say second gig, which is really the first gig that we started doing together, which is one of the best that we've ever done together, is hosting the open mic at Urban Grind. Yeah. And I still, I mean, first of all, shout out to Urban Grind, which is Mm -hmm. a coffee shop here in Atlanta, uh, black woman owned, shout out to Cassandra. Um, Still going today. So if you live in Atlanta or if you come to visit, now Urban Grind has multiple locations. So shout out to Cassandra Ingram for that. Uh, But you can visit on the Beltline and visit the original location uh, on Marietta Street, where to this day is still one of my favorite um, open mics to go to. Probably, if I'm honest, Urban Grind is probably my favorite open mic still to go to in the city, honestly. But I started out there uh, hosting an open mic and I had a poet who was, I guess, trying to DJ. So he and I were kind of doing the open mic together. And then I met Matt and he told me that he can DJ. And I, that was my, that was my trial run. That was me trying Matt out to see like, can this guy really DJ? Cause the stakes at an open mic are not that high because everyone from all walks of life and all levels of experience are coming there to do whatever they're going to do on the mic. So I felt like a DJ who's not so great is not terrible at an open mic. And if you don't like it, you can just like move on, whatever. And so, of course, Matt came and he was very dope. And then I just basically asked him to keep DJing for the open mic. So we really, we really together were hosting that open mic. Man, I mean, I hosted it in all for nine years I maybe was only hosting for a year, if that, by the time you came into it. So, I mean, we started out as friends and then we became booze and then we got married. (laughs) And what what a great community. You know what I'm saying? The poetry community in Atlanta. I didn't I didn't have a window into that as much, you know, before you. And so, you know, it's like you, you have a lot of people that come up to you. People always ask me, you know, how, how do you get into do this? Like my kid wants to be a DJ or somebody's like, yo, I want to be DJ. And I'm like, look now, like gear wise, you can, the, the entry level as much, you can buy some entry level gear for pretty reasonable price compared to when I first got in is because, uh, a roommate left their turntables and their mixer and their needles and their vinyl records and headphones. You had to figure all that stuff out. But but then also it's going to be that somebody's going to give you an opportunity to do it, you know, probably for free. And some of those opportunities you take and you go, yeah, this opportunity doesn't go beyond. Like right. this is where this opportunity ends. Right. There's, there's a thing that I like to call uh, getting paid twice. At a gig. And sometimes you're not getting paid the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But the second time is because you do that thing. Mm -hmm. You know you're getting good at a thing when you're at a thing and somebody goes, ooh, this is cool. I also do this thing over here. Mm -hmm. Will you come do this here? Which was the case with you. Hey, I do this open mic. Oh, cool. Let's give it a try. Stakes are kind of low. You know what I mean? For you and for me. So I show up, I do this thing, I get some coffee, I meet some cool friends, I hear some great poetry. Cool. Hey, also, I've got this idea of putting a poet and a DJ together. And I was like, let's see where it'll go. Also from there, somebody else is like, hey, got this other venue, got this other event. And then on, a, and then that's when you realize, you also realize you're getting good when people start going, how much do you charge for this? Right. And right. you have no idea what to charge. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I know that every time, I know that me, I'm probably lowballing myself. I'm like, there's no way that. And so I'll say something and they'll be like, yep. And I'll be like, okay, they said, yeah, real fast. <laughs> so I might have said too low. Or if somebody's like, be like, ooh, I might have uh, hit, hit a little too high on it, which is not usually. Me, normally, I'm too low. And now my wife, Amina, who, much like my friend Amina at the time, was like, you need to be charging. Yeah. And, and so, but then, but then from that experience that you had and from, it's almost like, it's almost like a, um, a skillet. You know how they say with a skillet, you know, you, you don't 
use soap or something. You know, you clean it a certain way because you're collecting all the flavor you got. And so I would say from the flavor I picked up doing Urban Grind with you. Right. The communal aspects mm-hmm. of it. I still carry that with me when I'm in a venue this past Friday night and it's a thousand plus people in this place and I don't have the same touch points with everyone in the crowd, but who is close to the turntables, who's coming up communicating with me, who are the people working behind the bar, who is the security who came up and said the thing to me, who is the like those communal aspects of what I loved doing Urban Grind, I still carry with me into everything I do now. Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take the dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms. And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it is interesting thinking about that because I was talking to someone recently about like event emceeing or event hosting. And they were asking me like, how how did you become so good at that? And I was like, it's truthfully being in an open mic setting because we had to be prepared for me as a host and for you as a DJ for yeah. anything. And you don't have any forewarning or foreknowledge about what it is. Somebody mm-hmm. may come up and do a poem about something really traumatic that happened to mm-hmm. them. And you can't just bop back up after that and be like, y'all give it up. Woo! You know, <laughs> like you really got to find a way to, musically and as a host, to hold space for uh, the mood of the room mm-hmm. after someone says certain things, to hold space for and an honor the story that the person's told. And then, you know, the truth is sometimes poems are bad mm-hmm. at open mics and that makes the room feel weird. <laughs> you know, even the audience is like, oh, yikes, I'm not sure how to feel about that. And we'd have to like improvise on the spot how we were going to help the room recover. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like there's so many things that we learn together in that space. And truthfully, it was the road that made us have to stop you know, doing it because mm-hmm. we were just too worn out with travel and and not not wanting to go into the open mic and not be able to do a great job, mm-hmm. you know. But shout out to Urban Grind because hosting that open mic was still one of my favorite gigs ever. Um, and the other best gig I would say that we've done together is the series that we did press play. Yeah, and I think this was twenty eighteen. Okay, I think it was twenty eighteen in the fall if I'm remembering right. And we did this series, which is still the series we did, whether it changes names and certainly would be at a different venue next time, I'm sure. But the series we did is like, that was like a dream mm-hmm. of mine that I would love to do again. Would love to figure it that out. It was basically like the feeling of what hosting the open mic was like, except instead of it being open mic, it was curated mm-hmm. and we would feature two artists each night Mm -hmm. and one of them would be a poet or comedian and one of them would be a music act. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, we happen to be really, really blessed to know a lot of dope Mm -hmm. performers. So we really kind of went around to our friends (laughs) and we're like, who want to come here and perform? And 
you know, shout out to the venue, they were able to provide us a certain amount of budget to be able to pay people, uh, which was great because then the open mic, you know, we had the door, like our share of the door that we had with um, the venue with with um, Urban Grind. You know, Urban Grind would get a portion of the door and then we would get a portion of the door. And so we would take most, if not all of that door proceeds mm-hmm. to give to our feature artists, yeah. right? But then it would kind of depend on how the door went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, exactly. if that person got gas money or if that person got money that could have paid a small bill or yeah. whatever. So to be doing press play and really have not like gang gang money, but have some type of like substantial something mm-hmm. that would make a performer be like, yo, I, I'm going to come there and do I my will. thing. I will bring my band. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And like come there and perform. That was amazing. And I've always loved the idea of mixing a night with music and poetry or comedy. Like mm-hmm. I always loved that feeling. And then there was a lot of stuff. I also think, you know, which is, kind of going to be interesting to see like how things go on for us in the future you know what what else we decide we're going to do on stage or create together because we spent a lot of years in church world and because what we were doing was a little bit hip-hop was in some way like um fresh you know then it wasn't for a long time what we were doing wasn't considered to be something for adults, which is why we got booked at youth events yeah. <laughs> and college events all the time. And then after a while, they were like, okay, they're married. Maybe this is for adults. <laughs> <laughs> but it was still like we were in church. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of like sense of humor things that we might have wanted to do on stage and couldn't do. Right. There was a whole ton of music mm-hmm. that we wanted to play and couldn't do. And we all were listening to them in the car on the way home. Right. In this space, the sacred versus secular and all that. It just all got weird. And so by the time we got to press play, we had both really stopped performing in in church spaces for the most part. Mm -hmm. And press play to me was the first time that we got to perform together, like outside of the open mic. It was the first time we got to perform together and really be ourselves. Like, When I was talking to the audience about the songs that end up in my head when I'm on my period and like the way that you as my husband will kind of be like, I'm going to go get that girl a burger and some fries and I'm going to get some chocolate and I'm going to just, I'm going to just slide a tray in there (laughs) and hope for the best. And I was like, yeah, because he knows that like in any moment I could just hear Bone Crusher, and to be there with you as a DJ, and you to drop it, and to get the whole room. Everybody here who has a period, I ain't never scared. (laughs) I'm talking about yelling at the top of the lungs. The energy was great. The energy was really great. I I would love to do that again, but that was one of my favorite things we've done performing together. So I want to throw it to you when you think about your career as a performing artist. I mean, I have a couple of things that I'm wondering if they're best gigs for you, but that's my question to you. What would you say have been like your best gigs ever? I'll say that uh, number one, being on the road with you for so long, it's hard to beat because I am such a fan of what you do. And the way you work a mic and the way you work a room and the way you flow. And so to have somebody that you can get up there with and it not feel weird cardboardy, you know what I mean? Especially when you're kind of replicating the same thing over and over again in a different city. Like it really felt fresh. It was really like, wow, I get to do this thing. You know, there, there were certain songs that I'm chopping up while you're doing your poetry. And I know I can hear your voice building here. So we're like really doing something that only exists in that moment. Right, right. It happened. You had to be there. And that's one of my favorite things as a performer. Um, And I I would say because now as a DJ, mostly performing like in nightlife entertainment, I'm mostly performing just me. Every now and then, there'll be an MC personality who's like yelling over the beat and I'm finding where they're going. But like that time of like performing with you, it, it was like, we were a jazz band, a two person jazz band, just riffing with each other. But we had like 
places that we were going to go. But so now it's kind of all just in my head. You know, I know, okay, I'm at this venue. I know that this time, this time I'm going to kind of do this warm up set. So I want you to be walking cool. Or I know that um, last call is by this time. So I want the energy level to be up here. And then to in order to get people to leave this venue without fights breaking out, I need to, you know, switch to this type of music that's still going to have you singing, but it's going to get you, oh, it's time to go, you know? Um, so those are all things that are in my own head. But that time of being me and you out there and a countdown clock, there'd be some countdown clock. And so that's still just my favorite. And so, yeah, if we could figure out how to do that in a venue on the road, if anybody's listening and you want us to come to your thing, we're going to do it at your time. But that's my f- un- unbeatable, <laughs> unbeatable. I'll say beyond that, um, I-, I would probably say one of the ones you're going to say is that I got a text message from a venue that I've worked with a lot. And the guy's like, hey, I got something going on. A band was supposed to be here, but they backed out on me last minute. Can you get here right now? I'll pay extra. I can't tell you what it is. Uh, it's middle Boy. of the week. Well, pack. Sure. I'm, I'm ITP. I'm inside the perimeter. I can get there. Let's go. I wasn't doing that. Rolled up. I remember getting on the elevator. This is also the middle of the week, y'all. Like middle, middle of the week. Yeah. It's like a win. It's like a Wednesday. Sure, like Wednesday. we're like getting to the part of the day where like you've already worked for the day you about to decide what tv shows you're gonna watch like it's that part of the day yeah in the middle of the week yeah. when matt is getting this text okay continue and so i'm on the elevator and they're like taking people's cell phones and put them in a basket when you get on the elevator i'm like huh that's interesting there's a lot more security like for whatever i guess because i'm the, the dj and i've got all this gear they didn't take mine but you know i I, I was starting to catch the, okay, so we're not catching a lot of video at this gig. We're not, okay, all right, keep your phone in your pocket, bro. Like, And so I get up there, come to find out, this was the rap party for the first Black Panther movie. <sighs> and so I get up there and I'm setting up as quickly as possible because all the guests are there. And they're like, yeah, the director is here. The actors are here. Everyone from the long list of people that takes to put on a movie, the camera operators, the grips, everybody. There's like five, six, seven hundred people at this thing. And they're playing background music. Yikes. And he's like, set up quick. I'm telling you what's going on. Here's what it is. And, And so he's telling me what's going on. And of course, at this time, you know that, you know, oh, oh, cool movie rap party cool i didn't know you know you don't we had no idea how massive no of a film it was gonna be no yeah and so i set up as quickly as i possibly could i jump in the mix and i'm doing my thing you know i'm kind of eyeballing who's around me and somebody's like oh the director he's from oakland i'm like oh word okay so i get in to my hyphy bag i start you know flipping Geek the sneak and you know E forty and you know I, I'm, let, let's find out what's up. Next thing you know, this circle opens up, and the director's in the middle. It starts crump dancing, and then the next thing you know, somebody else jumped in, and then this this other lady walks up with um, uh, African accent, and she's like, "Oh, we play some Nas," and I was like, "Yeah, got you." So I flip in some Nas, you know, and then when we go to the movie, man, and I'm watching the movie, and I see the actress on the screen. Yo. With that African accent, I was like, yo, that person was by the turntable. She was like, we play Nas. I was like, of course I play Nas. Nas is my favorite rappers of all time. You didn't got to ask. But yeah. But I was like, yo, and that person right there. And then you see how big of a movie you're like, I, you know, those people had a, you know, had a lot of memories of this thing. But I got to be there after they'd already done all the work. Right. And what turned out to be a joyous night. Yeah. And I handed my mic over to whoever and they handed it to the director and he was giving the thanks to everybody for all their hard work. And then somebody else got on and talked on the mic about all the hard work. I'm like, yo, that's my microphone right there. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, I wasn't in the movie. I'm not saying I was in the movie, but I'm saying it was all the way yeah. done. Like it's at the end of it. Yeah. And like my microphone 
was what they got to thank all these people for this thing that I hadn't even seen yet. That's what I'm trying to say. Yo. And so like whenever I we went and saw the movie and then saw it again. And anytime I see the movie from then on, I'm like, yo. Oh man. Like I got to be at the aftermath, like the the we made it, y'all. Yo. What an incredible event. That's of of I guess of all the gigs you've had and me like watching you as as your spouse and also as a business partner, man, that like you were able to get one, you were able to squeak out like one text to me before you had to put your phone away and you yeah. were like, yo, I'm here. This is the rap party for Black Panther. Gotta go by. And I definitely text back because of course, y'all, you know, by that time of night, I was at home, you know, in a brawless robe that you know, <laughs> like I'm 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 going nowhere, I'm doing nothing. But I definitely text back just in case he got it. I was like, you see Angela Bassett up in that hole, I will throw this robe off and get some clothes on and throw some makeup. I'll be right there. He didn't see Angela though. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that Angela Bassett and why, why am I feeling like Larry Fishburne? But was Larry Fishburne in the first one? Lawrence Fishburne? Yeah. But he used to be Larry when he first started. For real? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I was going to have to edit that at, out. Oh, we keep it up. You look at some of them early movies. Larry Fishburne? Like, I'm not sure if we need to check the credits of Boys in the Hood. Because I think Boys in the Hood might have been one of the last films that he was listed as Larry. Yo, big ups to Larry. <laughs> Larry Lair. So I can't remember. Now I'm like. That's Mr. Fishburne. I feel like Angela Bassett and there was somebody else. If it wasn't, maybe it wasn't him. But there was somebody else that was in that movie that I was like, Angela Bassett and whoever that yeah, person Michael, was. Michael B. Jordan. Was no, because it was somebody one. that I was like, if it is anybody that's not going to show up to something like this, is Angela Bassett and whoever this other person was. Yeah. But my mind always puts an, puts Angela Bassett with Larry Fishburne because, you know, they've been in other films together. That's right. Shout but anyways. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So all that to say, though, y'all, he did not see Angela Bassett there. So I did not try to throw a cute outfit on right quick and see if they would let me sneak in and be like, I'm married to the DJ. But that was so exciting to me. For you, you, you were the right one for the job because yeah. you could go in that night yeah. not knowing at all Zero what it was going to be and not knowing exactly who was going to be there as far as the kind of music and to just be able to like be prepared like I was, I was DJing and wasn't even all the way everything wasn't even connected I was like alright let me connect to you all <laughs> system get a song running while I'm still hooking up turntables and my speakers and oh my gosh yeah that was a great one that was exciting what are some other best gigs ever to you as as a dj i would say uh there's there's been some events that we've been a part of i've gotten to do a lot of cool events mm -hmm. you know um there, you know from from like the black panther rap party from there on i've gotten to do several other events where there were going to be celebrities there or it was for the team of that celebrity mm. and you get there and that celebrity may or may not be there but it's still an exciting experience sure. to prepare for and you know you do your best then there's other events that you do that um you're not as excited maybe it's it's a cool thing you're there you're doing it's a good gig but you're like ah, and then something surprising pops right up. right right some of those are really some of my favorite gigs mm -hmm. where something surprising pops off and we were in toronto mm -hmm. doing an event that we had done some other events with, and there's some unfortunate parts of that story mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that made us not as excited to keep doing these events. But there were some contracts, and we had some bills due, and then we had talked to some people who had advised us and chose to keep going on with these events. So we're doing these events, and so you get there, and one thing that I kind of like to do is I look around and be like, who... I, I, from a customer service perspective, I still look at what I do as customer service. Right, for sure. Who in this room sure. is being served? Who in this room is not being served? Right. There's a, everybody in this event may be aimed at somebody, and that's cool. I, I want to be in the flow of this event, but if I can like veer off just a little bit and let somebody in that crowd be like, yo, I see you. It's me and you working right now. You know, let's go. And I remember 
uh, just getting into my b-boy bag. And next thing you know, this again, back to the circle, a circle pops open and like for real b-boy culture pops up in the middle of this event Mm -hmm. that i never would have guessed would have been at this event and then you know the breaking windmill all the things is happening and you're like yo this is so exciting yeah and those also become my favorite gigs because there's somebody's like yo you see me i see you and then you end up having this real like cool exchange so i'd say that there's a there's a number of events that that has happened where you're like yo that's kind of wild yeah my other um i thought about two that i was like there they were my some of my like favorites to hear about and then one of them i was there for but one of them was um you did a christmas party in a big stadium for a big soda brand yeah I can say. Can we say? I can say. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So a friend of mine who's a DJ, I so th- I get brought in to do some cool stuff by other like DJ companies. Yeah. Uh, shout out to all the homies who, you know, come to me and, you know what I mean? Or he, he, it, it's still to this day. I got a, a thing from a DJ recently and she's like, yo, I can't do this thing. It's a venue that I've wanted to be in. I was like, yo, that's thank you. You know, thank you for thinking of me. You know, like it's it's a beautiful thing that I do love about the DJ community and DJ culture is like it is communal and relationship based. So this dude brought me in on it. He said, yo, we got this thing, this thing. And so what it was, it was the Coca-Cola company. It was their Christmas party. And again, this is right before the pandemic tip. So the world was still open as you're doing this gig. You're like, yo, if this is this awesome, what's going to happen next? Cause you know, each one you, you, you get on this role where you do this one gig, you're at urban grind. Right. And then you don't end up in the Mercedes Benz in the end zone. Right. At the next gig. There's right. a, there's a, you kind of work your way up. And then next thing you know, like, Oh, I can handle the black Panther rap party with mm-hmm. zero preparation. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't. I can handle where. Oh, this person's team brought me. In. Oh, you're good. Okay, we're, you know, you realize. Oh, and it grows and grows and grows. So this one, it grew to where at this party, you are. They had like a bunch of DJs, and then me and the other DJ. They had us at the end spot, the headliner spot. So you're at this on this massive table in this big stage in the end zone of the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia where the Falcons play, where Atlanta United plays, like it's a big thing. And you are looking out and the whole, and what would be the whole football field is full as far as you can see of people and lights and there's moving, there's machines, smoke going up in the air. And it's like all this exciting stuff to where you're like, what is going to happen next? This is going to be amazing. And then the whole world shuts down. Yo. <laughs> but for the time being, we're on this stage doing this thing. And I remember there were a, there were a couple interesting things. Um, number one, um, you're rocking with another DJ. Mm-hmm. So again, as a DJ, I'm always at least three songs, if not more, in my head. Right. There's a song playing. There's a song that I've got queued up on the other turntable. There's a song I'm headed to, but then also I'm trying to take you somewhere. Right. So mm-hmm. in order to get to this song, I'm going to need at least probably two or three songs, either tempo wise to get you up there, mood wise to get you up there. Like we're going, we're, we're going on a journey. And so working with another DJ where you might be like, Hey, you got this one. I got this one. You got, you got it. That was an interesting thing. Um, Number two, uh, it was an interesting thing that the company who brought my friend's company in, who brought me in, um, they were like, we really don't want you to have your phone out, taking selfies, taking video. But you're also like, this is an amazing opportunity right right, right here. Mm -hmm. Like as a DJ or as anybody who's a performing artist. The the best thing you can do is show your work. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I like to set my turntables up a certain way so you can see my hands. Because we would be at a lot of events, these large events, and people would, I noticed people would come up and ask me, 
were you really doing that? Right, right, And I'm right. like, yeah, because to me, I, I love to perform in front of a crowd. I'm a performance artist. So I like to put on a show. I like to do something that would not have happened had I not have been standing there. Yeah. And so, so you're on the stage and, you're, and I want to show my work because again, Somebody sees you at Urban Grind and says, well, you do this thing over here. And then somebody sees you over here, like, well, you do this thing over here. How much? You know, and that's kind of how it built. Right. And so here I am on this massive stage, all these lights. And so I did I did sneak out a couple of, <laughs> you know, I think you can probably still see them on my Instagram. Um, and then the whole world shut down. So, you know, but so that that was another weird thing that it was is like okay i gotta kind of sneak it over my shoulder just so you can see this like huge crowd and then the other thing that was interesting working for such a large brand mm -hmm. is this was this was definitely uh well communicated um up front was that you are not allowed to play any music from any artist who has had a brand deal with our competitor wow which you run down the list of people <laughs> who had pepsi deals that's a lot of music <laughs> the year i was doing this cardi b's i like it like that was right. the biggest song in the world well she currently at that time had a deal with pepsi right so i cannot play the biggest song in the world mm -hmm. in front of this massive crowd that at this moment, I know that song would light this crowd on fire. Man. And I just, I just remember it's also interesting in that environment because in the venues that I work at, I do kind of like that I'm accessible sure. to people. Mm -hmm. I like it. Uh, people are coming at me from all different angles and saying, and you get a lot of weird things. You get some unfortunate sure, conversations sure. that you're like, okay, you have now, you're not helping. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a person. You mm -hmm. just said that to me. What? You know, you, you do, you do get those type of interactions, but also for the most part, I enjoy it because you get some connection points. You get someone from a different culture coming up to you. Uh, this guy asked me for this song this past weekend. Um, and it was from a Bollywood movie. And I don't know it, but I found it on in a way that I could hit play on it. Most of my crowd had no idea what to do. So I dropped the music. I'm like, listen, we giving everybody something tonight. Look, these are my friends. Put your hands up. And so these dudes put their hands up. I was like, I don't know what to do to this music either, but do what they're doing. Next thing you know, flash forward three minutes later, the whole crowd is yeah. jumping. I can't tell you where the one, two, three, or the four is on this rhythm mm -hmm. that's happening. But you have these interactive moments. So in this big arena, you're in the end zone and the lights are in your it, you, you, you're far away from the crowd, but it was wild to still see people writing songs on pieces of paper and holding <laughs> it up. <laughs> and you're squinting, you're like, wait, what? Right. But still, still finding a way to connect mm -hmm. with people in that crowd. So that mm -hmm. was an incredible gig that I surely thought, oh, wow, this company had brought us in to do this. Oh, we're doing this again. And that was december and the world promptly shut down Boy, by march so, what a time yeah that's a time but shout out shout out to some best gigs yeah. because those when you came home from that one i was like that sounds exhilarating yeah okay when i think of my best gigs ever i would probably say on the number one is the together live tour and big shout out to jennifer walsh and abby wambach and glennon doyle for just putting this tour together and inviting me onto the tour. But for those of you that are weren't familiar with it, Together Live was a tour that uh, Glennon and Jennifer and Abby did many years before me, I think, or at least a few years before I was invited to be a part of it. And it was very women-centric. It was very inclusive and feminist and just very empowering of women. So on a level as a performer, I mean, I'm sitting on stage with Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach and The War and Treaty and Ashley yes. Ford and Michelle Buteau. And yes. <laughs> I mean, it was just so many. 
amazing people. I couldn't even name you like all the people that were on this tour. Um, and my friend Austin Channing Brown was also on the tour. So we got to do um, a couple of dates together. Oh, so much amazing things. And I think why it was the best gig ever for me or one of my favorite gigs to have done is I was at this point where I was sort of questioning myself, you know, leaving Christian space and I'll, I'll use the phrasing having done well there. And I'm using that to mean, you know, I feel like there were people in that space that enjoyed my work. I could go to different gigs that were in church space and there are people who recognized my work from some other thing they'd seen. And I knew that my work worked in like an open mic setting, right? But I had not been on a big stage where there were people there who weren't church people. Some of those people at Together Live just really like ain't Christian, don't want to be Christian, don't want to be nowhere near a church and have good reason to feel that way. And I only had like seven minutes because there were a lot of us <laughs> on stage, you know. So I only had seven minutes to perform and just doing my poems out there and getting that standing ovation from the crowd and being like, your work is not just for the small space that you come from, that your work like applies to other people is meaningful to other people. And that was a big turning point for me um, of, of knowing like what could be possible in my career. Another thing that uh, the pandemic came and stole from us because we were actually planning to do a fall and a spring uh, together live tour for 2020 and um, was just, man, having so many wonderful creative conversations about that. So I hope something else like that comes back around because that was amazing. Yeah. That was one of my best gigs. Yeah. Um, obviously, performing Margaret in front of Judy Bloom, which I talked about in an episode here. So please revisit that episode. We'll put Incredible. that in the show notes if you have not listened to that episode. And I got that text from you. <laughs> I got up and ran around the room. Incredible. Like, go, yo. Mina, go. Incredible. Also, there's a video of that on my IG of me actually performing that in front of Judy Bloom. So obviously uh, that was not the gig I was there to do, but it was at a gig and it was the best gig ever because that happened at the gig. And yeah. probably my other best one, which ironically also happened um, in 2019 was the pattern launch party. And the pattern launch party wasn't technically a gig of mine because I wasn't performing or anything there, but it was the unveiling of the pattern manifesta that I had written and uh, did the collaborating with Tracy Ellis Ross on. And that was my first time seeing like the video that they put together with it. And uh, Tracy was very kind and sweet to just thank so many people that had helped make it possible. And she thanked me like in front of everyone and like, y'all, this is like a launch party where you walking around like eating tacos and like Lena Waithe walk by and Carrie Washington walk by and the whole <laughs> cast of Black Lady Sketch Show walk by. It was like if Black Girl Magic could have been distilled into an essential oil, like mm. it was in the air that, that evening. Mm -hmm. In addition, after Tracy thanked me in front of everyone and then played the video so we all could see um, Tracy... And her team are good friends with who was the uh, Los Angeles Poet Laureate at that time mm -hmm. as well. And she was there and she walked up to me and was like, you did that. <laughs> she was like, and I know what it takes to write a thing like that. So I'm I'm not just saying that to you to say it to you. So love it. Best gig ever, I have to say, which, you know, I I guess I want to close this episode and close our Rose Story series with this thought, I feel like, like many of you listening, you know, many of us have experienced varying types of grief and losses during mm -hmm. the pandemic, you know, and for a lot of us, life is just very different. And in some ways it may not ever like air quotes return back to normal. I know we've mm -hmm. all wanted to like rush towards that. And some of that may not ever return. But I think also this can be like a season of time to be able to let yourself dream again about what could be, you know, let yourself like dream again about what's possible. And I think um, I had a lot of great time, babe, talking with you about some of this wild stuff that happened. These are stories that we tell at dinner parties and 
tell to our families, <laughs> but <laughs> have never really talked about in any sort of public forum until right. the podcast. So um, I think I've just enjoyed like reminiscing on some of that. Same here. But I think also like, you know, we're not done. We're nah. not, we're not finished with this just because that, that was a phase of our life at that point. Um, we're not, neither of us are done with the stage. Neither yeah. of us are done with creative work. And I think there's a lot more to come. I mean, we actually both have um, a few things cooking that we can't tell y'all about just yet. But yeah. just know, like, you haven't seen the last of Amina and DJ Up Diggy and the things that we can do and build together. So yeah. I'm really excited about that. Girl, I want to work with you again so bad. Come on. <laughs> come on, girl. Come know, up with something. Right? Uh, you got me over here dreaming, thinking. Yeah, but you know, and and we are not done with our work that we do together and the amount of collaboration that happens out of this house. Yeah. Even down to this podcast or what people may not realize when they bring one of us in that you're really getting a piece. We're there's so much collaboration yeah, that's for happening. Sure. And for sure. a, a lot more uh, of it is at least, hey, what do you think about, you know, right, down to sure. the the video clips that I was pulling off of my GoPro from this weekend. And I'm showing Amina, which one you think? Oh, that one? Yeah, okay, that one. You know, or you need to post someone. No, that. And then she's like, yeah, just doesn't make sense to you, but do it. And she's right, you know. And so all the collaborative work, I do look forward to performing with you again in front of a crowd. And like we always say is that one day, when our phones stop ringing, yeah, yeah, and those emails stop coming in, and whoever decides that they are done with us and they've moved on to somebody else, it's still gonna be me and you, girl. Big facts. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're my favorite. You're my favorite. <laughs> Thank y'all for listening, and I hope y'all weren't too grossed out by us um, being very lovey-dovey at the end. <laughs> we're we're just used to no one seeing how lovey-dovey we are. So, there you go, guys. Love you, babe. Love you, babe. <laughs> Thank y'all for listening. See y'all soon. Thanks. Her with Amina Brown is produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions as a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.